This is a Rook Media Series, The Contemporary History of Iran, Part 13. Hi there, and welcome to the Contemporary History of Iran, a series from Rook Media. This is part 13, The Republic of Mahabad. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Our aim with this series is to explore the events, personalities, and issues that have shaped modern Iran. We want to do this as much as possible through a non-traditional lens, through snapshots of change, and using alternative voices or angles. This series is mostly in English and will feature a new episode posted every Thursday across our Rook Media platforms. We will post subtitled excerpts with Farsi Zirnavis on our YouTube and Instagram sites. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms, and we invite you to check out parts 1 through 12 of this series that are already posted. To become a sponsor or patron of Rook Media, please contact us through our website. The Contemporary History of Iran is brought to you in part by Yazdani Law Group. YLG is one of the largest Iranian-Canadian immigration law firms. Their mission, rooted in the leadership of founder Afshin Yazdani, is built on continuously striving to innovate and introduce new immigration pathways for their clients. Afshin began his career as a lawyer and law professor in Iran, and his company has now made it their goal to provide the best, simplest, least risky, and most inexpensive way to immigrate to Canada. YLG has an impressive track record, hundreds of applications from Iran successfully processed every year. They are at YLGPC on Instagram. That is Yazdani Law Group. All right, let's get started. Here now is the Contemporary History of Iran, Part 13. Well, for a brief period after the Second World War, less than a year in fact, the world witnessed the formation of a Kurdish Republic. Indeed, it was a self-governing Kurdish state that covered territory that before and thereafter constituted much of the northwestern part of Iran. It was founded in January of 1946 and would represent something of a pinnacle of unified power for the Kurds of the region and the crescendo of a Kurdish nationalist movement in Iran that had been building momentum in the first half of the 20th century. The short-lived state was called the Republic of Mahabad. So what spawned this movement of Iranian Kurds searching for nationhood and unity dating back to the Constitutional Revolution of 1905? And how did Kurdish nationalism grow in such strength and ideology to reach its zenith with an independent, albeit brief, republic to realize the dream of autonomy and self-government for the Kurdish people of Iran? And what would become of the Kurdish unity and power embodied in the Republic of Mahabad after it collapsed 
by the end of 1946. Well, to discuss this pivotal movement in the contemporary history of Iran and an essential event in the story of Kurdish people of the modern era, I'm joined by an expert on this very subject. Dr. Abbas Vali is a Kurdish political and social theorist specializing in modern and contemporary political thought and modern Middle Eastern politics. He was born in Mahabad in 1949, did his schooling in Tabriz and Tehran, and would get his PhD at the University of London. His books include Pre-Capitalist Iran, A Theoretical History, Modernity and the Stateless, The Kurdish Question in Iran, and Kurds and the State in Iran, The Making of Kurdish Identity. Since 2008, Professor Vali has been teaching modern social and political theory in the Department of Sociology at Bosphorus University in Istanbul. He has a new book coming out next year called Reconstituting the Kurdish Question, Power and Resistance in the Contemporary Kurdistan. But first, right now, Dr. Abbas Vali joins me from Istanbul, Turkey today. Hello, sir. Hello to you. Hello. It's very good to have you on the program. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. You know, uh, just before we begin, I have to say, uh, perhaps you'll find it interesting or perhaps telling that in preparation for this interview, as I've been telling some of the people on the team and some friends of mine of Iranian background uh, here in this city about doing an episode on the Republic of Mahabad, uh, it surprised me that these learned people, for the most part, had never heard of it. This is a state that existed in the 20th century within the country of Iran, um, and yet uh, a lot of Iranians don't know a lot about it. Does that surprise you? No, because uh, Iranian historiography and uh, Iranian academia in general is uh, a very Persian-centered. Iran is identified uh, with the Persian-speaking parts centered on Tehran, and uh, the other parts of Iran usually, in a sense, subsumed under this general rubric of Iran, but they remain uh, voiceless, so to speak. So, if you tell an average Iranian that there was a Republic of uh, Kurdistan and also Republic of Azerbaijan, then they will be surprised because in the official historiography, and for that matter, in much of the academic historiography, these parts receive, either do not receive any attention or mention, or if they receive attention and mention, it is only you know, passing. So this is uh, really not surprising at all. Is it an issue of omission or of commission? In other words, um, do you believe that there's been an active attempt to suppress this kind of history, given that obviously successive governments or regimes would have no interest in Iran in celebrating this uh, the short-lived state of this Republic of Kurdistan? On the part of the official historiography, it is definitely actively, you know, this kind of line pursued to uh, I not only marginalize, but totally exclude, uh, you know, what is non-Persian from the definition of Iranian identity. That is what Iranian identity stands for. 
It is uh, Persian ethnicity, Persian language, Shi'i uh, religion. If you look at uh, the constitution of 1906 and uh, also constitution of uh, 1979 of Islamic Republic, you will find the definition of uh, Iranian identity exactly in a way that I just mentioned. We will get to that. Yes. And it, it is all the more interesting, I might say, given that um, the the Kurdish population is a pretty significant one still uh, in Iran. I was trying to get the stats. I mean, the closest I could come is uh, is to find that Kurdish people today constitute about 10% of the population of Iran. That would make them the third largest ethnic group after Persians and Azerbaijanis. Uh, is, is that right? I mean, it's true that we don't really have exact statistics on this because the current government of Iran kind of tries to underestimate the exact size and influence of the Kurds, right? All governments have done, the royalist government as well, you know, that uh, when censuses have been carried out, the first one, as I recall, it was 1335, which would be 1956. Uh, it was carried out, and uh, after that, regularly censuses in Iran have been carried out, but these censuses, uh, in the, the census, do not register ethnicity uh, of uh, the population. So we actually do not know what exact population of the Azeris, Baluchis, the, the Kurds, the Turkmen's are in Iran. They're all lumped under the, this general term of uh, Iranian, so to speak. But religion is registered, and but uh, ethnicity and language is not registered. And the same goes in the Islamic Republic. Therefore, uh, the actual uh, size of the Kurdish population is always contested. If you talk to a Kurdish nationalist, would put it at sort of 16 million, even more. If you talk to a government official, would say 6 million, or perhaps would say 6 to 7, 8 at most. But let's say, I mean, for, for, for scholars who are, if you like, claiming to be objective, uh, it is about 12 million Kurds in Iran, definitely, yes. You know, as we get into this, um, this discussion of Kurdish nationalism and nationalism in general, as as mm -hmm. someone who, you know, for those of us who grew up in the late 20th century, early, early 21st century, uh, you don't, um, it, it's, it's hard to imagine a world where nationalism doesn't exist. But you've written that Kurdish national identity in Iran is a fundamentally modern occurrence. So I want to talk about Kurdish nationalism and how it grew in that first half of the 20th century. But before we get to that, and if you can do this briefly, what was Kurdish identity for centuries before the idea of national identity? Well, it, it, you know, it is like Persian community, like uh, Azeri community. They were ethnic linguistic, at time linguistic, for instance, uh, depending on what exactly it is facing, because identity is always in relationship to differences which is facing it, and it's how it defines it. If and when the community next to it was uh, giving, in terms of its identity, giving prominence to ethnicity in the Kurdish community, ethnicity became prominent and became the dominant factor in the expression of that identity. Uh -huh. The other of Kurds have changed. And uh, according to this change, the, the constituent elements of uh, 
Kurdish identity have also changed. Therefore, when they have faced the other in terms of the official Persian identity, you see that in Iran as well, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and up to present, the definition of Kurdish or conception of Kurdish identity is prominently defined in terms of its ethnicity and language. Right, right. But in the Islamic Republic, because of the emphasis on Shia religion, we see that Kurds as well tend to emphasize their Sunni religion. Yes. This is, however, not to say that Kurdistan is uh, completely and entirely a Sunni community. No, there are uh, Shi'i Kurds there, there are heterodox uh, Shi'i Kurds there, and there are non-Muslim Kurds like Yazidis. But predominantly, I would say the majority of the Kurds in Iran are followers of Sunni religion. Yes. Okay, let's get into the historical meat of this. Take, take us back to the late 19th century in the Qajar yes. era of Iran. There, there is a body of opinion, as you know, that traces the roots of Iranian Kurdish nationalism back specifically to the rebellion of Sheikh Ubaidullah, uh, first yes. against the Ottoman Empire, then against the Persians. What was this about, and how did it cement Mahabad and places like Urmia and Tabriz as future homes of what would become that brief? Kurdish Republic by 1946. Sheikh Obeidullah was a Kurdish uh, dignitary in uh, the Ottoman Empire, and it fell out with the Ottomans uh, over the question of rule and over the question of political centralization. Because uh, as the Ottomans started political centralization, the, that means that Ottoman power encroached upon the autonomy of uh, Kurdish principalities and Kurdish, uh, if you like, uh, the power of the Kurdish sheikhs and so on and so forth. And the conflict started from there. Sheikh Ouedlai's conflict was fundamentally a conflict between this the Kurdish region and the central government. But uh, this conflict has been interpreted in different ways. Some uh, who think that it was uh, the beginning of Kurdish nationalism refer to a letter that Sheikh wrote to the British uh, Council in Van, saying that the Kurds are a different nation, they speak different uh, language, and they have a different religion. Therefore, they deserve to be a nation and should be treated so. But the point is that the rebellion of Sheikh against the center uh, expanded very quickly and then because of confrontation with the Ottomans it spilled over and went over to the Iranian Kurdistan and engulfed quite a large sector of Iranian Kurdistan especially in the northern and northwestern uh, regions. Uh, it was in 1881 to the 82, 83 that rebellion was put down and uh, they, this is uh, often considered as the beginning of Kurdish nationalism in Iran. But the point is, that is made that if for those who think that nationalism is uh, modern and is constructed in confrontation with the Persian other, with the uh, Persian definition of Iranian political power and political identity, 
those think that uh, this may be considered Sheikh's movement may be considered as a pre- precursor, right? Or uh, it yes. was it was wetting the appetite, perhaps. That's um, true. Yes. And and but it, it had a great impact. It had a great impact. Yes. I mean, it's a good segue because I was going to say that the, the, the late 19th century and early 20th century, um, as I understand it, is this period of great tumult in Iran as the country is gradually integrating its its pre-capitalist economy into the capitalist world market and the structure of the Qajar autocracy is crumbling. So with this constitutional revolution of 1905 and 1906, autocratic rule uh, in official terms, I guess at least, is replaced by a constitutional monarchy. This is where many usually mark the birth of Iranian nationalism. How did Iranian nationalism thereby spawn Kurdish nationalism? Is it as simple as a reaction? Well, everything that I said about uh, the origins of Kurdish nationalism also applies to the origins of Iranian nationalism. I mean, there are people who think that Iranian nationalism is uh, 2,500, 600 years old and uh, goes back to the beginning of uh, the Iranian state by uh, the Hakamanids. But uh, there are also people who think that, no, that is not the case. Uh, And uh, Iranian nationalism and Iranian national identity are pretty modern phenomena, and they started with the the constitutional movement, when for the first time uh, the concept of uh, Iranian nation entered political discourse. So these two are interlinked, and in that way, uh, the rise of uh, Kurdish nationalism and Azeri, Turkish Azeri nationalism, in my opinion, and those who think that nationalism is a fundamentally political and modern phenomenon everywhere in the world, for us, this was uh, the constitutional revolution is uh, uh, the beginning. It's the landmark. It's the beginning of all these new movements and identities in uh, the country, which is called Iran. For the sake of this interview, we'll hereby, from now on, assume we're talking about modern nationalism. You've, I think you've issued enough disclaimers about <laughs> that, 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 yes. that there's differences yes, in that. Uh, why, why did the Kurdish leadership in Iran uh, participate in, in counter-revolutionary politics in this constitutional era? Uh, more simply put, why did the Kurds oppose the establishment of a constitutional republic of Iran? How did they know that this would not be good for them? This, I mean, there are some people who, there are some who say that at that time it, there were also uh, developments, associations, and so on in Kurdistan. It may well be so, but I don't know if it is documented in that respect. But generally speaking, I think uh, the reason why Kurdistan remained, uh, if you like, outside this uh, constitutional orbit, so to speak, uh, was, uh, I think, in the first uh, instance, was the isolation of Kurdistan uh, economically and politically, and also its uh, uh, very, you know, entrenched, uh, uh, let's say, pre-capitalist political, social structure and cultural uh, formations. Uh, constitutional revolution largely was uh, centered-based, and that is Tehran-based, and Tabriz also played a very important role with it. And then Shiraz, Isfahan, and so on uh, 
joined in largely because uh, that uh, they were already you know, part of the political and economic structures of existing Qajar system there. Mm-hmm. But the Kurds were not. They had a you know, very strong tribal structure and had been kept largely isolated. And up to the middle of uh, 1880s, the large part of Kurdistan was run by Kurdish principalities who were the tributary payers to the central government. And central government, in a sense, received taxes and tributes and the currency of Erdalan and some other and the other parts uh, in uh, Mukrian and others. They run their own affairs. Well, what but, I was going to uh, say, actually, when you talk yes. about the, the pre-capitalist order and the, yes. the, the feudal or agrarian or whatever we want to call it, order, it seems to me, and I, this is undoubtedly an oversimplification, but I mean, if we, if we can simplify it, um, is it is it fair to say that for many years, perhaps for for centuries before the end of this Qajar era, that there was some kind of balanced ecosystem by which the Kurdish populations of Iran operated in this agrarian pre-capitalist form and kept to themselves, and there there was there was an order that was disrupted by the coming of capitalism and the Ottoman Empire, etc. Does that is that a simple that way? That is of putting true. It? That is true. In fact, for quite some time, the major cultural influence was uh, Ottoman Empire rather than uh, Iran, you know, in terms of, you know, particularly 19th century. Yes, that is true. I mean, Kurdistan was uh, mainly because of uh, the rule of these principalities and because of the disinterest from Tehran, so to speak, in that way. Uh, You know, Kurdistan was basically not part of the central, if you like, circle of uh, uh, rule. While, for instance, Azerbaijan was not the same. I mean, the Qajars were basically the Azeri Turks. The major part of the political structure and elite in Tehran were from Azerbaijan. Uh, The Qajar... uh, uh, crown princes who resided in Tabriz before they became king. And uh, all that uh, meant that Tabriz, uh, Shiraz, Isfahan, and so on, they were uh, integral part of this uh, definition of what was called the center. But uh, places like uh, Kurdistan or Baluchistan, and to some extent even Luristan, they were, uh, you know, in the peripheries of this uh, central, uh, if you like, field of power. Therefore, they were not comparable to the Kurds who were always in the margin. There's there's elements of this um, constitution of 1905-1906 that I, I, I have a lot of trouble understanding. I mean... <laughs> I'm, 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 it may just be my own simple misreadings of things, but but uh, I hope sometime before I die, I'll, I'll, I'll understand this constitution. <laughs> yes. But but did the constitution of that of 1905 not allow for Kurdish autonomous rule within the boundaries of a so- sovereign state of Iran? So, in other words, so why would the Kurds be worried about that if if that was carved out in the constitution? No, no, they, it was not. You see, in, in the constitution, no autonomous uh, region, whether it is Kurdistan or Azerbaijan or anywhere else, were recognized. Iran was considered as a unified uh, state, 
run from the center with the unified identity, which was uh, Persian community. But this is uh, this is not. But uh, beside the point, what was it that in the constitution? It was, however, recognized that there are uh, there are provincial and uh, local uh, differences oh. in language and ethnicity. So they came uh, and uh, introduced the idea of uh, what was called Anjumanhai Iyaleti Vilayati, which is the provincial uh, and uh, local uh, councils. And they should be created according to the constitution. They should be established and uh, given the power to act uh, in their own parts in there. But this power was uh, all the more uh, everywhere. It was defined as uh, administrative power. Mm. They were never uh, given political power. In other words, modern Iranian state has been a, always a centralized state and has been whoever has been in charge, whether they were royals, uh, monarchy, or now the Islamic Republic and uh, the religious theocracy. This issue of uh, ethnic and linguistic identities, what I call them, the non-sovereign ethnic and linguistic identities, they are not recognized and they're not allowed to uh, have uh, their political rights and uh, cultural rights, so to speak. Okay, let me ask you about the um, what seems to be the greatest precipitant of the rise of Kurdish nationalism based on what I've read and based on what you've written uh, and that is what you've you've talked about a couple of times already in this interview the the centralization of identity or the uh, the attempt at unifying identity in Iran what might also be called the Persianization campaign that begins with the constitution and obviously uh, uh, finds its uh, its momentum as well under Reza Shah uh, the Constitution of 1905-1906 specifies that Persian should become the official language of the nation and the language right. of, of administration and the language of education. What is the effect that this has on Kurdish sentiment? When you say that the official language, it means that any other language is non-official. Right. Uh, but there, there are situations in which you know, in, in a democratic uh, society or democratic state, uh, these uh, non-official languages are provided for and they're recognized and respected and the rights which uh, originate from this recognition are accepted and uh, they are enforced. But in a country like Iran and Turkey, this is not the case. It is recognized that there is a Kurdish language but they considered that it is to be as a local spoken language. So the net effect of this constitution of, of 1905 is uh, we've written a, an official document, and by the way, we're now excluding you. <laughs> or, or you have to become, melt into, our, uh, in the, into Persian identity. Is that, is that yeah, basically? This is always, yes, that is it. If you want to, I mean, the idea is that they say this is uh, the definition of national identity. So if you want to be an Iranian, then you will have to relinquish yours and accept this definition of uh, national identity, and yours will become marginal, local, and the state 
which is of course by this when you say that it is marginal local it is unofficial and when the opposition comes from a place like Kurdistan or in Balochistan or in other or in Azerbaijan then when this opposition comes it means that this non-official language non-official identity becomes uh, directly linked to the security of the state so uh, expressions of Kurdish identity is a matter of security in Iran. When you have this official identity, this official language and so on, then every other person which doesn't conform with those uh, specifics, but are living in Iran, they are practically second class, second rate citizens, so to speak, if they are citizens. And by the way, yeah. ethnicity was not specifically mentioned in the constitution but the nationalization of language and education effectively yes. served to exclude those of different ethnicities. Would that be correct? It doesn't matter whether it is mentioned or not. All the cultural institutions, all the cultural practices in Iran are uh, conducted in terms of this ethnicity. They will say, usually, you are Iranian first, and then you are Kurdish or Azeri second. You say, okay, I am even happy to accept that, but will you respect my rights as a Kurd and, and can I have my own administration in my part of Iran? Or can Azerich have their own administration? They said, no, that goes against the security of the state. The state is uniform block. It is a uniform political block and it is ruled and run from the center by an elite who professed this identity and supported and defended? Right. So, th as I understand it, there's these, there's these lightning rods. I mean, even if we don't go back to the the rebellion of the sheikh, uh, starting with the constitution in, in 1905, there's these lightning uh, the points that push forward that put the wind in the sails of Kurdish nationalism. Another one is World War One, um, which. Iran gets unwittingly or perhaps unwillingly drawn into, and the battlefield um, it largely takes place in Kurdistan. How does that affect Kurdish sentiment and create a, another lightning rod for Kurdish agitation in Iran? First World War, just as you rightly said, when Kurdistan became battlefield of, uh, uh, you know, contending forces. It had absolutely devastating effect on Kurdistan in terms of death, famine, starvation, and uh, destruction. Uh, therefore, uh, it was, in a sense, uh, largely put back the society, the community and society in economic terms. There is no doubt about it. It also seemed to have in a, a very different way, reinforced the nascent uh, movement of uh, nationalism in Kurdistan, the awareness of uh, the difference, the awareness of uh, the incapability of the center to defend its parts, the awareness that uh, the Persian state is fundamentally concerned with uh, keeping the center right. and the keeping that identity clearly in a decade or so reflected on uh, the relationship between Kurdistan and the center. 
uh, but uh, what gave material foundation to this uh, Kurdish uh, feeling of uh, difference was uh, these uh, authoritarian modernizations that Reza Shah carried out in Iran. Reza Shah created uh, or laid the foundation of a modern state and uh, and this required from his point of view and the political and cultural elite which were uh, working with him that uh, local uh, languages, identities and uh, languages didn't matter. Uniform administration, uniform taxation, uniform uh, uh, education, but they were all in Persian and uh, in aid of uh, the uniform Persian identity. Is this what you mean by Pahlavi absolutism? That is right, yes. And so Pahlavi absolutism um, inspires another wave of growth of Kurdish nationalism. The the Reza Shah regime seems to see a potential threat of Kurdish nationalism. And uh, there's a moment I want to ask you about with Furuki, the the Iranian ambassador to Turkey. This is in 1927, proposing measures for a joint Iranian-Turkish cooperation against Kurdish movements. What would Reza Shah have been most concerned about? Well, uh, you see, uh, Reza Shah was... uh, seriously attracted to developments in uh, Turkey under Ataturk. And uh, well, Ataturk created this uh, uniform nation by blood and sweat, I mean, destruction, murder and mayhem. And uh, Reza Shah didn't go that way. But uh, in a sense, uh, Reza Shah wanted uh, this uh, uniform state to be established. And this is why that, you know, when he was in power in the 1930s, Kurds basically were subdued and they were uh, probably waiting for the opportune time to come. And the opportune time came when uh, Reza Shah abdicated and was uh, removed from Iran. And uh, then, uh, you know, Kurdish nationalism was uh, thrown into the center of Kurdish politics and then subsequently Iranian politics. This is why Reza Shah was removed in 1941, barely a year after that, the first nationalist organization, which was called uh, the Association or Society for the Revival of uh, Kurdistan, was formed in uh, Mahabad. And that association, uh, in a sense, spread and developed very rapidly. But then uh, after three years, in 1945, it was replaced by the Kurdish Democratic Party of Iran or the Kurdistan Democratic Party of Iran, which is still uh, in existence and is still uh, the standard, one of the bearer of... uh, Kurdish opposition to the yes, Islamic State. Yes. Um, b- before I get to the KDPI and, and, and in fact, the formation of the Republic of Mahabad, uh, I want to quote something you said, just talking about the Pahlavi regime and, and Pahlavi absolutism. I want to actually quote something from one of your books where you say 
The conception of nation and national identity as uniform and indivisible constructed by the Pahlavi state thus denied ethnic difference and cultural pluralism, and the ethnic difference accordingly became the strategic target of the discourse of national identity. So, uh, Dr. Valley, are you saying that after years of coexistence, um, in one way or another, it was now the de facto policy of the Iranian state that Kurds expressing pride or dominion over their own culture and ethnicity was seen as somehow treacherous? Yes, of course. I mean, this all goes back to the creation of this, uh, the establishment of this uh, uh, so-called nation state, Iranian nation state, uh, you know, just as it was the case in the Ottoman Empire when there was not a state which claimed ethnic and linguistic identity, then there was no problem between the Kurds and Turks in the Ottomans and uh, in Iran, you know, uh, between the Kurds and the Persians and Azeris, because uh, the state didn't have that identity. So these people, in a sense, did not see their own identities in danger. They didn't see it as being attacked, excluded, and uh, in certain places like Turkey, actually eliminated. So this is all uh, the product of modern state, particularly the nation state, where political power has an identity, and uh, we have the idea, we, we see that all those who do not conform with this identity are uh, uh, automatically excluded from uh, the domain of legitimate politics, legitimate cultural activity, and become targets of state violence if they resist and do not accept that identity. All of this has an impact on um, the Kurdish Iranians, who throughout this entire period are uh, the sentiment around Kurdish nationalism is growing, and it reaches, as I said in the introduction, its zenith with this creation of the Republic of Mahabad. I mean, it is extraordinary to think, especially given the backdrop of what you've just talked about and Pahlavi absolutism and all of that, that an independent state, uh, albeit a short-lived, as we've said uh, repeatedly, um, could spring up in Iran in 1946. You mentioned the, the KDPI, the Kurdish Democratic Party of Iran. How was the Republic of Mahabad actually formed in January of 1946? First, I would say that, you know, it was actually Republic of Kurdistan, not Mahabad. If you read their uh, writings, their newspapers, they consider themselves as the Republic of Kurdistan. It was known, became known as Republic of Mahabad because it was centered in, on, on Mahabad and also because the first book written by, by, by uh, Eagleton, William Eagleton, the book is entitled Republic of Mahabad. And subsequently, Roosevelt also writes uh, the same thing in art, an article about Republic of Mahabad. So this is actually Republic of Kurdistan. But having come to that is that clearly, you know, when uh, Kurdish nationalism started and spread, they had laid the foundation for it. Kurdish nationalism was, in a sense, it helped by the fact that uh, uh, Iran was uh, occupied by uh, the Allies, powers, and uh, Northern Kurdistan 
was uh, occupied by the Red Army of the Soviet Union and the Southern by the British. And nothing happened in the British side, BC, but in the uh, part which was uh, uh, administered at that time by the uh, Russians or occupied by the Russians, uh, this uh, republic came to existence. However, it should be wrong to say that uh, the Russians actually created this republic. In fact, in my book, as I have referred to the documents of uh, both uh, the British Foreign Office and also some of the documents, uh, political documents of Americans show that Russians actually had no desire, no plan to create a uh, republic there. In fact, republic was declared against the expressed wishes of the Russian political officer there, which was representing uh, Stalin's Russia in Kurdistan at that time. The Russian plan was that uh, Kurds should unite with Azeris and work under the auspices and the power of the Azeri administration as part of the Azerbaijan Republic, which Kurds did not want that. They basically said in the meeting of the Republican government in Mahabad, they said that, uh, very clearly said that if you want to be under foreign rule, so to speak, uh, in Iran, why should we leave the Persian thing and go to the Azeri? This is despite the fact that they had very cordial relationship with the Azeri uh, Republic. But there is also this matter that has to be clarified. A Republic uh, of Kurdistan, or as you call it, Republic of Mahabad, and never had uh, a very clear-cut and uh, well-defined political identity. So it was not clear whether it was actually struggling to, to establish an independent state or it was a really an autonomous plan that wanted administrative cultural autonomy from the center, but remaining uh, within uh, the domain of Iranian political sovereignty. But it's quite audacious. They, I mean, they do build the main building blocks of an independent state. They've got, you know, a, a government, they've got a taxation policy, they've got uh, education policy, they've got sort of um, uh, infrastructure. How, how functional was it as an independent yes, state? Yes, but that is true. I mean, they all created that because they had to run the place. You see, because the Iranian army had collapsed and the Soviets were there, they were not there, you know, and the uh, Iranian administration had, uh, if you like, no influence there. But uh, yes, they created those structures. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that if you read uh, what are left of their official organ, a, a uh, newspaper which was which is called uh, Kurdistan, about uh, ninety odd uh, issues of this uh, have survived today. If you read those and the speeches of the Republican uh, elite, you will see that they're talking about uh, a Kurdish state, not just uh, for Kurds of Iran, but Kurdistan in general, and uh, the greater Kurdistan, so to speak. But uh, also, all the time, they are negotiating with the center. Mm. They, they never stop negotiating with the center about autonomy. And the autonomy discussions, if you like, negotiations, collapsed 
when uh, the government of Tawama Sultanate in Tehran refused to, to talk to the Kurds and uh, said that he would only talk to Kurds and Azeris together. And subsequently, when uh, in the same year, and around April of uh, 1946, when uh, Azeris and uh, the central government in Tehran negotiated to, with uh, together over the question of autonomy. Only in one clause they are referring to the Kurdish administration in uh, Mahabad, so to speak, or in Kurdish part, Kurdistan. Uh, when uh, Tazi Muhammad, who was the head of the Kurdish uh, Republic, returns from Tehran and makes a speech, the speech is very grim, very yeah, very dis shows he is disappointed and dismayed with the refusal of the central government to accept the Kurdish demand for autonomy. Similarly, again, after uh, the collapse of the Pahlavi regime in Iran in 1979 and the coming to power of the Islamic Republic, the Kurds uh, raised uh, again the same autonomy demands and they went to Khomeini and Khomeini refused. Khomeini's refusal was a restatement, the strong restatement of uniformity of the identity of political power in Iran. And he said, basically, in Islam, we have no ethnicity, no nationalism, we have all brothers and so on and so forth. But he didn't say that if we are all brothers, why us as brothers uh, right. have no voice, right. have no right. language recognized, no ethnicity recognized, no administration, and everything has to be decided for us from the center. Even today, all the administrators uh, in the Kurdish uh, region are uh, chosen and appointed uh, by the central government. I'm going to ask you about today in a moment, but in that time, it, when the republic existed, when it was formed, and that one year that it uh, that it was uh, at its at its peak, at its in its existence, um, I understand that it was a particularly unifying mo moment for Kurds, right? Because Kurds have somewhat famously, maybe infamously, not necessarily gotten along, depending on their region, the Iranian Kurds, Turkish Kurds, the, the Kurds of, of, of uh, Iraq, uh, but that this Republic of Mahabad was seen at the time um, as a Republic of Kurdistan for all Kurds. Would that be correct? No. I mean, it, 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 you see, if you look at the, what may be called the, the political and administrative statements of the Republic. No, it only talks about uh, the Eastern Kurdistan, Kurdistan in Iran, and the part of Eastern Kurdistan which is under its administration. But in ideological uh, discourse, of, of course, you find many references to the idea of uh, Yes, Greater Kurdistan and so on. But never, uh, it doesn't appear in terms of it is political and administrative statements. I see. In that. How yes. did the Republic of Mahabad, Dr. Valley, how did it find its, come to its end in 1946? By well, the combination of internal and external factors. Internal factor, most importantly, was uh, that uh, it didn't have that kind of unity within its military and political structure. 
it uh, relied fundamentally for its military force on the landowning class and uh, on the tribal landlords. And uh, they uh, never really, except for a few of them, they never uh, were sincerely supporters of the Republic. Some of them remained uh, to the very end in uh, contact with the central government and pledged uh, their, uh, uh, if you like, uh, allegiance to central government, despite the fact that they were also in the Republican administration. But the most important thing is that when you are uh, in a society where uh, the economic forces and relations are you know, very weak and they cannot uh, form a uh, centralizing and uh, structure underneath uh, the political power. Therefore, uh, what becomes prominent is the military power in terms of keeping uh, the unity and the continuity of the political system. But the military power in Kurdistan was largely in the hands of tribal landlords. And uh, when it came to the crunch, they did not fight for the Republic. And their head of Republic, Qazi Muhammad, knew that. And uh, this was one of the reasons why he refused to fight and uh, surrendered uh, Mahabad and the region under the control of the Republic to the central uh, government when the army advanced. Of course, uh, Qazi's decision to give the, you know, to, to surrender was also precipitated in certain ways. It was encouraged by the horrendous news that was coming from Azerbaijan and the atrocities that the Iranian army had, uh, you know, o o were committing in Azerbaijan, and murders, destructions, and so on. In fact, Iranian army uh, devastated uh, Azerbaijan, large number of uh, Azeri political activist members of the uh, Firqai Democrat. They were mostly murdered, mostly in cold blood. And these news spreading Mahavad and others, Ghazi basically decided that he didn't want similar things happening in Kurdistan. But uh, having said that also, uh, the departure of the Soviets and also lack of external support and so on. They were also important factors in the collapse of the Republic. That's an amazing story, this um, mid-century state that, that pops up br briefly and it is and is of such um, symbolic importance. I want to get to that, but before we end this um, uh, most interesting chat, which I must thank you for. I, I, let me ask you, um, what has happened to Kurdish identity and Kurdish nationalism in the years since 1946, uh, under the first under the Pahlavi uh, government in the Pahlavi era, and then um, in the Islamic Republic? I'll ask them, uh, take them one at a time. Um, with respect to the years following 1946 and um, the rule of Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, uh, the Shah of Iran, uh, you write, in Pahlavi, Iran, nowhere were the defining features of sovereign power played out more vividly and forcefully than in Kurdistan. Um, can you explain that? What, what 
seems to be a statement saying that Kurdistan in particular got it hard after this, uh, when it came to the Pahlavi regime. Well, after the collapse of Republic, basically, dark descent on uh, Kurdistan. Uh, you know, Kurdistan was uh, never uh, included in a significant way. For instance, when they brought, uh, just one example, when they brought railroads to Azerbaijan and uh, the railroads stopped in Maraga, they never brought it to Kurdistan. When uh, they were, you know, uh, building new roads and uh, new communication systems, Kurdistan was never uh, part of it. And uh, also, if, if you look at the statistics, that Kurdistan has been consistently at the bottom of the things in terms of the standard of life, in terms of allocation of government resources, in terms of employment, in terms of uh, literacy, and so on and so forth. So it was a deliberate government policy because Kurdistan was considered as a center of opposition as a center of nationalist movement challenging the unity of the Persian state, Azeri state. So it was always disfavored. And uh, Kurdistan was effectively uh, run by the military. And uh, throughout this period, when the situation uh, like that uh, was uh, in order all the time, uh, therefore, uh, the political movement in Kurdistan had to be underground, and it went underground. And the, after the creation of the infamous uh, Savak, Savak in a major way attacked Kurdish uh, political organizations and underground political resistance. Then Kurdish nationalism in Iran basically moved to Iraqi Kurdistan. But I would uh, imagine that uh, none of this is to say that uh, um, what the Iranian Kurds endured under the Pahlavi regime uh, got any better under the Islamic Republic. Uh, what what has the state of Kurdish identity for the Iranian Kurds and, and Kurdish nationalism been for the last 40 years? No, they definitely didn't get better. Uh, you know, definitely the same policy of repression continues. And as I said, because of the definition of uh, the political, redefinition of, of uh, political uh, Iranian identity under the Islamic regime and the prominence of Shia religion, now we see that the Sunni activists in Iranian Kurdistan are also suppressed. And if you look at the statistics of, you know, provided by various international organizations and also various human rights organizations in Kurdistan, Iran at large, and the Middle East, and outside in Europe, and so on. If you look at it, uh, the Kurdish population, uh, in terms of political prisoners, in terms of executions, in terms of dying under torture, they are always... Uh, on top of the list. And now it's not just the ethnic and linguistic nationalists which are imprisoned, but also Sunni political activists, which means that the government has actively politicized Sunnism in Iranian Kurdistan because uh, wants to give prominence to uh, this particular element 
as against uh, ethnic and linguistic nationalism, which uh, tries to, if you like, weaken them, undermine them. And also uh, the worst economic con uh, conditions. Just now, Kurdistan and uh, Balochistan are at the bottom of the list in terms of any economic indicator that you might imagine. Dr. Abbas Vali, let, let me end where we started, perhaps. Um, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about the fact that uh, there are many Iranians uh, who, uh, educated Iranians, who don't know about um, the Republic of Mahabad, the, the Republic of Kurdistan, as you've also called it, um, let alone the details of it. Uh, that is distinctly uh, in contrast to Kurdish folks who do know about it. And you say that the Republic, uh, this Republic of Mahabad for Kurds is not something that took place in the past, but is also one that is living with them in the present. What does a, a short-lived Republic from 75 years ago still mean to the Kurdish people across the region today? Because it is a powerful landmark in Kurdish national memory. And uh, it is always lived and relived in the national memory. And then, you know, everything which happens, you know, that uh, in not only just in the Kurdish region in Iran, but also other parts of Kurdistan. So anything that is traumatizing this national uh, memory is also invoking uh, the history and the fate of Republic. It is uh, the, the one of the most important events in modern Kurdish history and uh, clearly one of the most important factors in uh, the formation of the nationalist discourse and uh, also in the construction and reconstruction of this national uh, memory. It is always there and it's always alive and it always animates discourse. It always animates practice. You know, I have to say, um, in preparation for this interview and researching the, the Republic of Mahabad, uh, <laughs> I only found out yesterday as I was uh, putting together the introduction of you that you were born in Mahabad and you were born just three years after the Republic uh, came to its end, uh, I, just out of curiosity, when you were growing up as a kid uh, there, did, what, what did you hear about the Republic of Mahabad? Were you aware of it? And, and how, how did you see it in your mind's eye? Well, we lived, uh, I, we lived in a kind of a, a double world. At home, we spoke about it, we revered it, we referred to it, we sung and read poetry about it. But um, Outside home, it was total silence. We could not. This duality, I think, uh, is uh, you know marks uh, the memory and uh, and the consciousness of any Kurd in Iran. I went to school in Azerbaijan, so that means in Tabriz, which is central part of the city of eastern Azerbaijan. Yes, and you know, I as a kid. Uh, I for first time encountered could the uh, Persian language in a school. Before that, I never knew a word of it. And uh, therefore, starting an education for a kid with, who speaks 
uh, Kurdish at home, Azeri in in the town, and then uh, starting an education in uh, Persian, a language who he doesn't know at all, is uh, you know is is very traumatic. That's why for all those. Uh, let's say, uh, citizens of Iran or all those people who live in Iran and the, and Persian is not their mother tongue. They have experienced this trauma and this trauma has scarred their consciousness and uh, their uh, outlook. And uh, this is not something that just I have experienced, but uh, every other kid in the Kurdish society has experienced. You know, when we were talking about uh, a republic or even talking about m the movement, we were talking about arrests, about uh, people uh, flooding the, the, the country to Iraq or to Eastern Bloc and so on. Uh, they were all uh, talks that had to be done in secret because uh, outside you couldn't talk about it. You had to police yourself. You had to observe this uh, rule that uh, this is a forbidden area. And that always reminds us that our identity is part of this forbidden world. This Our identity is an identity that has to be concealed, has to be hidden to protect us. It, it was a forbidden, suppressed and denied identity. That's why uh, this memory lives in Kurds, memory of republic, and everything to do with resistance, everything to do with this, uh, you know, Kurdishness, expression of Kurdishness is uh, so powerful. Dr. Abbas Vali, it's been a, a pleasure and, and an education, and I thank you so much for all the time you put in today. Thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, I also thank your, uh, you know, audience who would be listening and uh, hearing me, and I'm looking forward to seeing their comments. Absolutely, <laughs> they will be shared with yes. you. Merci, Khodafis. Khodafis. Dr. Abbas Vali, an author and Kurdish political and social theorist specializing in modern and contemporary political thought and modern Middle Eastern politics. His forthcoming book is called Reconstituting the Kurdish Question, Power and Resistance in Contemporary Kurdistan. Dr. Abbas Vali, join me from Istanbul, Turkey today. This is full time for the Rook Media Series, The Contemporary History of Iran, Part 13. Brought to you with the support of Yazdani Law Group, one of Canada's largest immigration law firms, YLGPC, on Instagram. Please check out our regular editions of Rook and all things related at rookmedia.com. That's our website, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the team who make Rook Media happen. Susan, Anahita, Parisa, Ponta, Keon, Roham, Merdad, Reza, and Shia. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. Mizumbashin.